Welcome to Untangle, the podcast from Meditation Studio. I'm Patricia Karpus. In this series, we introduce you to real people with extraordinary stories and experts who share how mindfulness practices change our lives. Our podcast is brought to you by Meditation Studio, Apple's pick as one of the 10 best apps of the year. You can download the app in the App Store or on Google Play for under $4, and you get over 200 meditations from 30 expert teachers. Such a small investment to sleep better, feel less anxious, and to be more focused and productive. And your one-time purchase of the app helps to keep our podcast going. Give it a try. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. We love having you with us. Today, I interview Catherine Burns, the Artistic Director for The Moth, an organization dedicated to the art and craft of storytelling. Their recent book was edited by Catherine, and it's called All These Wonders, True Stories About Facing the Unknown. I love this organization because it has given voice to countless stories, and I know firsthand how the telling of a story can transform us changes us personally, and it connects us to one another. In the introduction to the book, Catherine writes, We live in a world where bearing witness to a stranger's unfiltered story is an act of tremendous compassion. Stories do give us a way to be vulnerable and to connect more deeply with one another. And as Catherine also says, sometimes it's easier to try and make sense of the world one story at a time. Here is the amazing Catherine Burns. So Catherine, thank you so much for being on Untangle today. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you so much. I'm such a fan of your podcast and I'm thrilled to be here. Oh, I love that. And I'm an incredible fan of The Moth. So I want to start by uh, helping our audience understand how you originally came to The Moth And you might need to describe a little bit what the moth is for those people who aren't familiar with it. Sure. So let me start there. So the moth is all about true stories told live. We've been around for nearly 20 years. Our 20th anniversary is on June 6, 2017. And the moth was founded by the novelist George Doss Green. He was a writer. And he was looking to create a space where people could come together and where one person could really hold the floor And people would listen to someone uninterrupted for 10 or 15 minutes while they told a true personal story about their life. It started out in George's living room, but then quickly moved into bars and nightclubs and various stages. And so what makes The Moth The Moth is the live element. Uh, We have a radio show and a podcast, but all of the shows are recorded live. And then we take those live recordings and use them to make everything else. So the idea is that you're standing up on stage generally in front of your own community, telling a very personal story. So that's how the moth began, um, and that's what the moth is. In 2000, I moved to New York City. The moth had been around about three years then, and I started hearing about this amazing downtown thing where you could go see these fabulous writers or you know, people you might have never met. They would have an incredible garbage man telling a story, like people from all walks of life, and they were standing on stage telling stories. And I came to the first night, and I can still remember some of the stories I heard that night, and I was totally transfixed. And so I started volunteering for the shows and trying to help them out. I was working as a TV producer at the time. And then, you know, I helped them out for a couple of years, just, you know, passing out programs, doing whatever I could. I eventually volunteered in the community program where they teach storytelling in schools and community groups. 
And um, right after 9-11, the mosque's very first artistic and executive director quit. There were only two employees at the time. Leah Tao, who was, who was left, she was promoted to the executive artistic director, and I kind of raised my hand and said, hey, do you need a producer? And I came on board as a producer, and about a year later was promoted to artistic director. What a great story. What was it about your connection to storytelling? Had you always told your own personal stories, or you said you were riveted by the range of people that would tell all kinds of different stories? Was there something out of your childhood or your teen years that really kind of connected you with stories in life? I think so. I grew up in a small town in Alabama, so I grew up with that Southern tradition with my grandmothers actually telling these amazing stories from their childhood. And what's funny is sometimes the storytellers who I coach now, they'll, you know, they'll have told me a story six times before they get to the show, and they're like, I don't know how you can react so freshly every time. But I was that little girl who was like, Grandmama, tell me again about the time you kissed over the baby carriage, you know, and your baby sister rolled down the hill, but it was fine, you know. So I, I think it was always sort of in my blood in a certain way. And I did come into the mosque through stories. I actually told a story in one of the original open mic story slam competitions. And it was a story about how I accidentally drove my friend's car up a very small cliff. It's like this ridiculous story of completely screwing up. And you know, obviously, I mean, lived to tell the tale. But I told that in a slam. And what's funny is looking back when it actually happened, because it was this crazy thing. We were in his car. I was actually in the passenger seat. He had gone inside to buy coffee, but I turned the keys and it was a car with an automatic transmission and it was left in first. When it happened, I remember thinking, I couldn't wait to get home and tell my roommates what happened, you know? And I think that long before I was lucky enough to stumble upon the moth, that was definitely in me where something crazy would happen and I would just be so excited to tell the story to every friend. Oh, and I think the moth is just founded in creating space for that, which sometimes you in this world with the internet and digital and texting, there isn't a space for that. I think it's really cool that you come from a long line and legacy of storytellers. And that sort of makes me wonder, what is it that creates a good storyteller? Is it an art? Is it a science? I know you teach with specific kind of tools and skills, but it sounds like in your family that storytelling was a very natural thing well what we always say when people people are always like what makes a great storyteller and i think they always expect us to say like someone who's really funny or someone who's comfortable in front of crowds but the number one quality all great moth storytellers share is vulnerability you know their willingness to open themselves up and really tell on themselves like even when i was thinking about my grandmother's story my favorite story she had was about pushing her little sister in a baby carriage. It was just like turn of the century Alabama and somehow tipping it over and the baby rolled all the way down the bottom of the hill. But the punchline was the baby was so wrapped up in a million blankets that like they didn't even have a bruise. You know, most great storytellers are, are willing to make themselves the butt of the joke, you know, are willing to talk about not the time that they were some great hero, but the time that they messed up or they experienced some sort of difficulty and, you know, how they got to the other side of it. Do you think that people feel they need to kind of wrap up a story at the end with a moral? Or do you think best stories are kind of left with, you get it just by virtue of what the story has been? It's such a good question. To be honest, if I'm going to tell on myself and my team, I think we went through a period in the moth where the stories were a little too wrapped up in a bow. I think we took that note and we agreed with it. And now I think like in the last few years, especially, we're much more willing to let the story end in a way where 
you know, the audience might draw a little bit more of their own conclusions than what we'd have asked them to in the past, if that makes sense. Because like life isn't all wrapped up in a bow. Even the stories that I gravitate to, they're usually like very, very funny. And it just seems like the storyteller is telling a good story or a really like tragic, sad, heartbreaking, grief-stricken story. And I don't know if that's just me gravitating to those stories because people are being so revealing and, as you say, vulnerable. Because you also talk about, on the grief side, it's best not to tell your story from your wounds. Better to tell them from your scars. So I guess that gets back a little bit to the art and science question because part of it is the actual story and part of it is the delivery of the story. And are those things teachable? I think that they are. There are always going to be people, we all know them, who are just really natural storytellers. You can teach somebody to like go through and like look for the moments that are most important. You can teach someone to find details that support what's most important about the story for them. And I think of them all, some of our community's favorite storytellers are not people who identify as like being like the great raconteur, but just people who have really meaningful stories to tell and who are willing to share them. Some of my favorite stories are definitely for people like that, too. I mean, we, we frequently will have someone tell a story where, like, the only time they were on stage was at their high school graduation. And some of these are the people who go on to do the best and tell their stories multiple times and end up on the radio and reach a lot of people. Yeah. They just have the courage to try. I love what you're saying about the courage to try because I think often we learn in school to do a great presentation, but we don't learn to express our feelings and our emotions in a way that helps us to express ourselves. That's where I think that this is so transformative because people really get in touch with how they feel about something and they're able to share it. And that whole process really connects us as human beings. Absolutely. I mean, you know, they've literally done scientific studies. I was actually just on a panel at South by Southwest this wonderful scientist, he and his team, they're at Berkeley, and they spent six years putting people through MRI machines while they listened to moth stories and tracking their brain waves. It's so cool. I and mean, when we found out, we were like, what? We lost our minds. We were so excited and blown away. And it's so interesting, some of the stuff that they found. They were actually building a, a different study that was similar that they did at Princeton, where they also use moth stories. And one of the things that they know is that when someone tells a story, their brain waves, of course, make a pattern in the MRI machine. That's a very layman way to put it, but <laughs> I'm sticking by it. And then put someone else through the same MRI machine and they listen to a recording of that person telling a story that their brains light up in the exact same places, which is just amazing. So literally listening to someone tell a story, your brains become synced. That is incredible to me. I'm also wondering, like, what is the difference between telling these stories on stage, which is the moth, and having written this book. Was that really hard for you? Or do you think people will have that same sort of brain and heart reaction when they read the book? I hope so. It was funny. So people wanted us to do a book for a long time. And I actually resisted the idea because it just seemed very a moth. You know, we don't allow people to have notes. Yeah. But then what made me turn around was actually the guy who's now our literary agent, he's brilliant, this man, Daniel Greenberg. He was like, well, Catherine, what if you just transcribed the stories and then edited them really lightly on the page? Edit them in a way where you're not trying to turn them into literature. You're trying to preserve the natural voice 
And that felt very moth to me. So I was like, okay, let's try it. And we had known from doing our radio show, because when we started doing the radio show, we'd get the stories transcribed. It's just easier to sometimes when you're editing audio and working audio to have a transcription. And so I knew we knew by then that some of the stories really popped on the page. And so at that point, we had about 20,000 stories told. So we're like, okay, well, there's enough in here. They're going to really work on the page. And what's interesting is some of the stories were better on the page than they maybe even did in the room. Like if someone's a little shy and they speak in a little bit of a whisper, you don't know that when you're reading it. <laughs> We're always looking for new ways to bring these beautiful stories that people tell to the public. And like some people who are never going to go see the moth live because maybe they live in a small town where we can't make it. But some of those people might be willing to pick up a book. And there's a new intimacy to the book. Like it's fun when you have the book, you're literally holding the stories in your hands. And we find that there's something really special about that. We've heard friends tell us that they've been at like dinner parties and people will pull out the book and read the stories aloud to each other. And this also kind of blows our minds. Like that never occurred to us as an idea, but there's something so beautiful about that, about having strangers reading these stories aloud to each other. Yeah, especially if they resonate with you. I love this one uh, by Cole Kasdan, Deja Vu, again. I thought it was super well-written and I was on the edge of my seat for every minute. And that's what I love about these. I think you did such a good job editing them because I was like on the edge of my seat. You really did a great job keeping that, the story arc and the emotion in the writing, which is brilliant. She told a version of the story years ago and it was like great. The story, for those of you who haven't heard it, is about her having amnesia, like pretty severe amnesia in her like ex-boyfriend who she doesn't remember she had a boyfriend or that they broke up and then uh, I guess they've sort of been recently reunited he comes to her aid and what's interesting is that when she first told the story she was still with that guy and then years later when we started we had the radio show I was listening to the audio and I was like god you know there was so much brilliant stuff in this and she's such a wonderful warm storyteller uh, I should talk to her again and we got back in touch and it turned out that at that point she had broken up with a boyfriend and what we didn't realize is that when she first told it, in a way, she was still living it. Um, and now she's, of course, married to someone completely different who's absolutely wonderful, and that was her future. She just didn't know it then. When you're coaching storytellers or you're working in workshops, what are some of the, the idea generators, or how do you get people to come up with a topic for a story? So when I'm on the phone with somebody who might want to tell a story, but who they don't have a story picked out, one of the questions I will ask is I'll say, what's the story that when you have a new friend or a new boyfriend that you can't wait to tell them? Or what are the stories that your friends ask you to repeat to their friends, like when you meet them for the first time? Because sometimes these things are anecdotal, but often if you dig into them, you find there's a reason why these are the stories you tell over and over, that there's something about you that this you know, story highlights if you look at it closely enough. That's what I was wondering because often people, you know, you have a great story, this happened to me on an airplane or this happened to me, blah, blah, but it doesn't become a story with like a beginning, a middle and an ending. But you help people to craft the story based on that anecdote that you might tell at a dinner party. Exactly, like an example I sometimes use when I teach is um, the writer Nathan Englander. He's actually, his story's in the Moss first book. And uh, he told this hilarious story where he and his friends were traveling through Eastern Europe on a train. And 
they woke up to discover that in the middle of their night, their train car had been unhooked from the rest of the train. And they literally did not know what country they were in. And you could just so see why Nathan has told the story over and over in bars over the years. When we dug into it, it turns out that Nathan grew up deeply religious Jewish household. And so realizing he was trapped in Eastern Europe, this was like right after the wall came down and after the fall of the Soviet Union, it actually ended up bringing out this sort of what I think he refers to as like Jewish PTSD or Holocaust PTSD, like fears about being Jewish that he wasn't even aware he had really until this happened. We left intact the crazy romp of the train, but there's also a wraparound um, in the final story about what this incident really meant for him. And it was actually a huge moment in his life. But, you know, but that's not usually the part that he tells in the bar. Well, that's what you say. In the forward of the book, you talk about how there's often a huge payoff when we take great risks. Yeah. Is that what you helped him to uncover yeah, after the I fact? Think so. I mean, especially a lot of the stories in the second book, when we were starting to pick them, me and Matthew Inman, who's our editor at Crown, he's brilliant, we started to notice that a lot of the stories that were in our yes pile had this thread in common. Like it was someone who took a chance, did something a little bit different, or maybe were forced to against their will, mm. but kind of rose to their own occasion, if you will, and ended up in a very different place. Like an extreme example is Susie Ronson, who at the beginning of her story, she's a hairdresser in a small town, it's like a suburb of London, and you know, she's just expected to kind of grow up and get married and work at the hair salon her whole life. And then one day, she decides to take a chance and go cut the hair of this couple who live in this kind of cool flat down the way. And the boy in the couple is young David Bowie. And she ends up creating the Ziggy Stardust hair. He's like, can you do this? And she says, yes, even though she's really not sure. But she pulls it off. And so she ended up being, you know, his dresser and like touring the world with him and actually married one of his bandmates. And so she had a completely different life than she would have had if she had just played it safe and stayed at the hair salon. Wow. That's a good story. <laughs> I mean, you also said in the forward, when we face the unknown, we usually discover we have more grit and tenacity than we thought. I just so often find that when I'm talking to people, even friends, is that what sometimes seems to be like the worst period in your life inevitably will lead you on the path you're supposed to be on. I mean, I can just tell you personally, like coming to the moth, when I took that job, I had, was coming off of like a kind of a crazy period. I had been working in television. I found that my heart wasn't there. I'd originally been a filmmaker, but then discovered that I didn't really like being in editing suites or being on sets. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> that's like, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And um, I was also just upset by how like the more successful I became, the more people I needed in the room to tell the story. So I think it's sort of funny that with the moth where, you know, it's all about telling a story in a very simple way. Yeah. I'd gotten a job at MTV that I was happy to have but didn't really want. And then the job got put off because of 9-11. The whole television show I was sort on got put off for six months. So I was in this period really trying to figure out what I was doing. And if you looked at me from the outside, I was like 33 years old. I was living with a bunch of roommates in Brooklyn in this crazy share you know, I didn't have a job. It was right after 9-11. My mom was dying, you know, at the time. It was a very, very dark period in my life. But I think because that job got put off, which at the time seemed like the worst thing that could happen, you know, I actually, I ended up volunteering down at, you know, at the 9-11 site because I was in New York. 
And all of a sudden, the moth job became available. It's like it's something artistic, but it has much more meaning than the work I have been doing. But if I hadn't been in this sort of free fall, really trying to ask myself, like, who am I and what is most meaningful to me in life? I think a lot of us were asking ourselves that question after 9-11. I don't think I would have looked up and seen what was right in front of me. And I, would, I wouldn't have lived the life I was meant to have. Yeah, this is where I think the transformation part comes in. And this is where I connected in my own mind with some mindfulness and contemplative practices. Because I do think at its heart, it helps us to see things from a different perspective. And it gives us kind of a new and a fresh lens on our experiences. I couldn't agree more. You know, one of the stories I love most in the book is told by Hector Black. He's a man who had an adopted daughter who was pretty brutally murdered. And he was a man of great faith. And he found himself just filled with hatred towards the man who killed his daughter. And really like not recognizing himself and seeing other people who were like in support groups where they had lost family members just burn themselves up in their hatred and their anger. And he ends up deciding to go find out who this man was who could commit such a crime. And he ends up discovering that the guy who killed his daughter actually had this absolutely tragic childhood. His mother tried to drown him and his brother and sister. He and his brothers got away. They watched as his mother drown their little sister in front of them. Hector is like the richest country the world has ever known, and there was no one here for that little boy. And who would I be if the woman who brought me into the world had tried to take me out? And he finds compassion for this man, which ends up healing Hector. And I think it's also been very healing for the man who, you know, will spend the rest of his life in jail. And, you know, again, that's an extreme story, but, you know, Hector could have just given in to his hate and, you know, spent a life broken, but instead he took a huge risk to the chagrin of, I think, a lot of people around him and found healing for himself. Again, these are some, some of these stories where we have kind of extreme examples, but I think that then we can look at these extreme examples and say, well, then how does that apply to my life? Yeah, I think they're great examples, and I think that one's a perfect example of how storytelling really inspires compassion. And it makes me wonder, you know, what happens when we listen to other people's stories? You know, you were saying before what's going on in our brains. Like, what happens to you when you're listening to all these stories? You seem to, like, still after all these years, you still get really excited about these stories because they're so different and they're, each one is rich in a different way. What do you think is happening to most of us when we're listening to them, not just in our brains, but in our hearts as well? I just think it's so important. I mean, I think so often people feel alone in their own darkness, you know, like our shadow sides. Um, yeah. like we all have the things about ourselves that we're like ashamed of or like think mistakes that we made. Or And we, I think most people walk around thinking that they're the only one that feels that way. They're the only one that had that. And the more you listen to the stories, you start to realize that what you know, connects us are our foibles and our mistakes, you know, that everyone has that. Everyone has insecurities. Everyone has a thing they did that they think is just so terrible. And then, you know, one of the things I think that people find freeing about telling a story is, is they'll get up on stage and dare to talk about the thing that seemed like the most embarrassing, horrible thing. And then they get such a compassionate, warm, 
like sympathetic reaction from the audience. And moth audiences are just the best in the world. They walk off stage being like, oh, like my purest self is okay. I know you have a meditation practice. Do you ever integrate mindfulness or meditation practices when you teach or, or share with me a little bit about your practice? So I think that my own meditation practice helps me be able to be present for the storytellers. We don't actively like have an element in the moth with it. Like it's not like people start by doing a meditation or anything when we do workshops. Although maybe you should think about it. You're not the first person to ask me about this. And I'm like, maybe the answer should be yes. But I can tell you that meditation for me, I came to it very late. You know, I was one of those people that tried it a million times and just sat there and was impatient and couldn't figure it out. And then what changed my life was my friend, she was like, you need to go to a class and work with Sharon Salzberg because I think she would be able to reach you, basically. Because Sharon, like, she's funny. She's not too serious. She's not, like, little perfect, blown-dry hair, skinny little yoga instructors. Not that there's anything wrong with that. She's just, like, a real person, and she's funny and warm. And so I went to my first class. I went and I did that classic thing where I got there super early so that I could sit as far in the back corner as possible because I wanted to know that if I was totally bored, which I just knew I was going to be, that I could run without it being that obvious. I sat down and Sharon started talking and I started laughing and we, you know, she taught for 30 minutes and I was transfixed. And then we did a meditation and I was completely disappointed when she said, Time is up, and we've been sitting there for 15, 20 minutes when I'd never been able to do three minutes before, right? And I wanted to do more, and I was like, what? And so I came back for the next five classes, this time sitting in the front row, <laughs> um, just beaming at her, and it really changed my life. Because, I mean, her whole thing about how the most important moment, one of the things she says is the moment that your brain slips away, that you realize it and bring it back. Like, if you just sit down and do that, 15 times a minute for five minutes, that's going to change you. And, and so that just sets you free. Like, you know, like when someone like Sharon Salzberg is telling you that, then you know that when you're, that there's no way you could fail when you sit, which I think so sets you up for success. So now I try very hard to do 15 minutes every evening before I go to bed. I'm not perfect, but I find that if I do it, I'm just so much more present for my staff and for the storytellers. Yeah, that's gr so great to hear. I love the way you described how it's really served you because we always talk to people about meditation, but it's it's less about meditation than how meditation helps you in your life and your everyday challenges. The more I meditate, it's just so natural to respond and not react. You know, that you pause and you gather your feelings. And if you are having some negative or angry feeling. Just pause, observe that emotion, and then react in a healthy way. I loved this uh, paragraph in your forward, and I just want to read it for our audience because I think it takes us from mindfulness to compassion and back to storytelling. You write, We live in a world where bearing witness to a stranger's unfiltered story is an act of tremendous compassion to listen with an open heart and an open mind and try to understand what it's like to be them, why they think like that, dress like that, made the choices they did, takes real courage. It's so beautiful, and it really kind of captures the essence of this story. And then 
you write, for what wonders await us when we don't turn away. Sometimes it's easier to try and make sense of the world one story at a time. So I just want to congratulate you on this amazing book, All These Wonders, True Stories About Facing the Unknown, and tell you how excited I am personally about storytelling, how rich this contribution that you're making to the world is. Thank you. It's a labor of love for all of us. We're so excited to have this book out of the world and you know, just, just to have people reading and experiencing these beautiful stories that these people dare to tell. Thanks so much to Catherine for her insights on the craft of storytelling. You can find the book, All These Wonders, True Stories About Facing the Unknown at Booksellers Everywhere. I highly recommend it. And find out more about The Moth at themoth.org. Once again, if you have feedback or suggestions for guests, email us at patricia at meditationstudioapp.com. And don't forget to check out Meditation Studio in the App Store or on Google Play. We'll see you next week.